0: On the Sabbath, when this university campus is setting aside these 24 hours, beginning last night, as you heard, and in every worship community on this campus right now, setting aside this this Sabbath so that we can collectively come against the wall of racial separation, On the Sabbath, consider the words of the great American poet Robert Frost. He wrote the poem, Mending Wall. These are just eight lines from this poem. Something there is that doesn't love a wall, that sends the frozen ground swell under it and spills the upper boulders in the sun and makes gaps even two can pass abreast. Before I built a wall, I'd asked to know what was I walling in or walling out? And to whom I was like to give offense. Something there is that doesn't love a wall, that wants it down. My name is Dwight Nelson, and I am against the wall of racial separation. Let's pray. Oh God, the poet is right. Something there is that doesn't love a wall, that wants it down for so many reasons, for so many people. So, what should we do now? Help us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Danny Goki, that overnight sensation with American Idol, you might remember that name, Danny Goki wrote a hit song based on the story he heard from a pastor in Ohio. No kidding. True story. I shared this story at Hope Trending. It's been a while ago. I've never shared it here, and I want to share it here today. The pastor in Ohio had a, sur- a heart surgeon in his, in his congregation, and one day he went to the heart surgeon, and he said, yo, you know what? I would love to observe an open heart surgery. Would it be okay? He said, well, the surgeon said, let me check with one of my patients. He had a woman patient coming up in just a few days whose heart needed repairing. He asked her. She said, sure, just keep him out of, out of my business, but uh, let him watch. And so, a few days later, sure enough, there, there it all was in the surgical theater. The surgery began. The cardiac surgeon opened wide the chest, reached inside and grabbed that defective organ and pulled it out and began this intricate work of repairing this woman's heart hours go by but when he's through he puts it right back fortunately where he found it and then he says all right let's get the heart going they disconnect from the machine that was beating the heart and it wouldn't start <laughs> come on do it again, on and off again. Again, the heart doesn't start. Again, it doesn't start. And, that, and then in one of those moments, far outside the playbook, the surgeon kneels down beside the woman and speaks into her ear, Mrs. Johnson, this is your doctor speaking We've repaired your heart. There's nothing wrong with it. Mrs. Johnson, if you can hear me, I need you to tell your heart to beat again. And in front of this dumbfounded pastor, suddenly. Danny Gokey took that story, turned it into his hit song, Tell Your Heart to Beat Again. I just checked in on Thursday. Over 23 million people have watched that YouTube. I've watched it a few times. In fact, I'd sing, I'd sing it for you right now, but I need you to hear the rest of this sermon and not leave, and so I'm just gonna leave that song out because I happen to believe that this story, no kidding, that this story is a message from God to His people, to His church. Church, <laughs> this is your Savior speaking. I have died for your heart, We have repaired your heart. There is nothing wrong with your heart now. So, please, church, tell your heart to beat again. Open your Bible with me, please, to the Apocalypse, the Bible's last book. Come on, check it out. Revelation. Revelation. You got to see this. You know, a lot of people, when we go to these seven red-letter letters, come from Jesus to seven different churches lo- located there in Asia Minor. Most of us living at this time look at the last letter and say, aha, the letter to the church of Laodicea, that's for us. But I have a feeling we're supposed to give some attention to the first letter, the letter to the church of Ephesus. So open your Bible to Revelation chapter 2. You can bring a Bible, grab the pew Bible in front of you. Check it out. Red letters in my Bible and the pew Bible. Jesus speaking here. Revelation chapter 2, I'm in the NIV. Page 824 in your pew Bible. "...to the angel of the church in Ephesus write..." So, Jesus is dictating this letter to John. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. The stars are the leaders. The lampstands are the churches. I hold you in my hand, verse 2. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary yet, but, but... hold, oh, Stop, stop. I Listen to me carefully now. Yet... I, have, I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first, because if you don't repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Your church will be gone. Wow. You know, King, New, New King James reads, Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. But I love the way Eugene Peterson renders it in his message translation. Put it on the screen, please. You walked away. That's what you did. You walked away from your first love. In fact, I wish you'd jot that line down right now, just the way it is in the message. Grab your study guide, please. It should be tucked away in your uh, worship building. Can you pull it out? Take a look at this. And you say, listen, I don't have a study guide. Well, we got the friendliest ushers on the campus here, and I'm going to invite the ushers to stand right now. Would you mind, please? And let's, uh, let's hand out some extra study guides. If you, didn't have, if you don't have a study guide, just hold your hand up. Yep. See, here, here they come, just like that. Up in the balcony as well. Get, just hold your hand up. Those of you, by the way, those of you watching on uh, television right now, You can go to the website because you're watching live stream. It's live. Go to the website. You see right there, there's a little series we're doing. The first part was Bring Your Heart to Life, and now here's part two, Tell Your Heart to Beat Again. All these times are going to have heart in it. Go to the number two one. You'll see study guide there. You're watching on a television somewhere? Go to our website. Put that on the screen, www. Boy, it's tiny on that screen, isn't it? www.newperceptions.tv. Go to that website, and you'll get this same study guide. Let's jot it down. Revelation 2-4, from the message... Translation, you, Jesus speaking, you walked away from your first love. You have forsaken the love you had at first. I was visiting with a heartbroken man the other day. A husband, his wife, has lost her first love. Oh, sure, they're still married. They still have a family. They still live in the the same house. But you know what? When you've lost your first love, you know what you are? You are married singles. And that's what they've become. Jesus is saying, please, please, your love is gone. Your heart has grown cold. Tell your heart, please, tell your heart to beat again. Although I suppose, I suppose we ought not to be surprised that a church living near the end of time might have a problem with love grown cold when you recall how Jesus describes the civilization, society, just before He returns. Take a look at this. Matthew chapter 24. Just stay in your study guide here for a moment. I will put Matthew uh, 24, verse 12 on the screen. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love... Just before I come. The love of most will grow cold. Jot that down in your study guide as well, will you? Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. I have this against you. You You have left your first love. The passion has died out. Like the rest of the world, your love has grown cold. Tell your heart, please, tell your heart to beat again. I mean, have you noticed that it's, it's a pretty predictable pattern for formalized religion? That eventually you abandon the passion and devotion you have for God. Formalized religion, churches that have been around for a long time, you abandon love you originally had for God. You even abandon your passion and devotion to each other. You just become... Just this business of essentially regressing into a bureaucratic maintenance of the institution itself. We just got to keep this place going. Come on. Just keep it going. That ought to be good enough. No, it's not good enough. You lost your first love. Tell your heart to beat again. Which is why, by the way, Jesus had an axe to grind, <laughs> huge axe to grind, with the, with the leadership of the religious hierarchy and bureaucracy of his day. And not just the leadership, but even with a membership. In fact, Jesus now knows. He knows there's no way. There's no way I'm gonna prevent my execution. Fait accompli. And so Jesus utters those scathing seven woes. You remember those woes in Matthew 23? Watch woe number 4. Take a look at woe number 4. Fill it in on your study guide. Put it on the screen. And by the way, Luke 11's there because Luke has a tweak on it that, that uh, is important for us. So Jesus is speaking. Woe to you, teachers of the law, Pharisees, you hypocrites. You have neglected the more important matters of the law. Okay, so what's important about the Ten Commandments? What's so important about the law? Jesus says, let me tell you. You've neglected justice. So, oh boy, did we spend time with justice last night against the wall of racial separation. Justice. You've neglected justice. And in Matthew, he says you've neglected mercy. But Luke comes along and says, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, the word. I want the word to be love. And it's love in Luke. So that's why, in that bracket, would you stick in the word love, please? You've neglected justice. You've neglected mercy. You've neglected love and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. Jesus said, hey, time out. Time out, scholars. Time out, profs. You who are with great exactitude pronouncing grand theological positions, you who are defending intricate ecclesiastical orthodoxies, and all the while you are abandoning the profound orthopraxies, the orthopraxy, the right practice of love and mercy and justice and faithfulness, what's up? You need to have the other, but you shouldn't have left this part out. (sighs) Tell your heart. Come on. Tell your heart to beat again. The truth is, it was precisely because of that severe neglect and gaping emptiness of love and compassion among the religious leaders that the people flocked to Jesus it's like a magnet. <laughs> Jot this down. This is very interesting. Only Luke records these words of Jesus. Luke chapter seven. It's in your study guide, so we just keep going. Jesus speaking about himself, the Son of Man. Look, look, look. I, the Son of Man, came eating and drinking, and you know what you said. Here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners." Man, wouldn't you love to have that as a diss? Just a slap at you? You know, about the... You know the problem with that woman? You know the problem with that guy? He's a friend of tax collectors and sinners. In fact, a few days later, keep going in Luke. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law (laughs) muttered, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. (laughs) I know some churches that welcome sinners and eat them. And that's not what Jesus is talking about. Friend, a friend of tax collectors who welcomes sinners. Hey, listen, come on, come on, come on. Time out, time out. Could it happen to us? I'm thinking about Pioneer. I'm thinking about Andrews University. Could it happen to us that we could become the same as Jesus? Our staff's reading a book right now, Dynamite. Author of the book, Jerry Cook. Title of the book, Love, Acceptance, and Forgiveness, Equipping the Church to be Truly Christian in a Non-Christian World. In that book, Jerry tells a story that I want to read to you. Would be all right? Just read a short little story here. A pastor in our town whom I knew only slightly became involved in adultery. Adultery is a sad reality for any human being because you break the sacred bonds. But when it happens between a spiritual leader and someone else, it's just a double whammy became... I, I knew him slightly. He would become involved in adultery. As a result, his marriage went on the rocks, and his ministry was destroyed. And since he was a strong Christian leader in our area, this, this brother's fall came with a resounding crash. His church splintered into a dozen fragments, and hurting, confused people were scattered all over that city. A year and a half after all that happened, I received a phone call one Sunday morning, 7.30, all right? So he gets his phone call. It was this former pastor. He said, hey, would you mind if my wife and I came to church this morning. I said, why would you even call and ask that question? Of course we wouldn't mind. Well, well he said, you know this is my second wife, don't you? You know I divorced. I'm divorced from the first. Are you aware of this? I said, sure, I'm aware of it. Well, He said, I'll tell you, Jerry, we've been trying for eight months now to find a place of worship. The last time we tried was a month ago. That morning we were asked from the pulpit to leave. We've been met at the door of other churches by pastors who heard that my wife and I were coming. They asked us not to come in, said we would cause too much trouble. Still others have heard that we might show up and called in advance to ask us, please, don't come. He said, frankly, I don't think we could handle it again if we were to come and be an embarrassment to you and be asked to leave. I I just don't know what would happen. My wife is close to a nervous breakdown. By now, he was weeping on the phone. I know that you have a video for overflow crowds, he said. If you if you want, you can put us in a room where no one will see us and just let us watch the service. I said, listen, listen, you be there, and I will welcome you at the door. And so he came with his wife and their little baby. They came late and sat in the back. The compounding thing was that many of the people who had been hurt through his fall were now a part of our congregation. Nevertheless, we extended fellowship to that man, and the Lord did a cleansing and a healing. We shed so many tears together. I never will forget how he grabbed me and buried his head on my shoulder. A man 15 to 20 years my senior, he wept like a baby and held to me like a drowning man. He said, Jerry, can you love me? I've spent my life loving people, but I need someone to love me now. Can you love me? I need someone to love me now. I'll finish the story in just a moment. Christ's Object Lessons concurs, by the way. Look at this on the screen. You got it in your study guide. Fill it in. When you see yourselves, Ellen White writes as sinners saved only by the love." Would you jot that in? Only. You've been saved only by the love of your Heavenly Father. You will have tender pity for others who are suffering in sin. When you realize there ain't no difference between you and me except the grace I've received, you will have pitying love for the sinner who says, could I come and join you? From whence comes a love like this? <laughs> only one place, only one place. Turn to the theme verse for this little series we'll do together. Go to Romans. Come on, you've got to see this in your Bible, not on the screen. Pull your Bible out. Romans chapter 5. Look at this. Unbelievable. But it's here in our Bibles. Romans chapter 5. Verse 5. And hope does not put us to shame. You don't have to be ashamed. Hope won't put you to shame. Keep reading. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. Isn't that something? God's love has been poured out through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I like it in the New Living Translation. In fact, it's in your study guide. Fill it in. For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Hey, listen folks, when you are baptized daily with a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit, when every day you begin the day and you say, "Lord Jesus, my Father in heaven, I need" the Holy Spirit all over again in my life, when you ask for the Holy Spirit and ask to be baptized every day of your life, every day you ask, you are filled with the love of God just poured out into you. You're filled with the love of God. Ask, and you'll receive. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and it will be open to you. Just ask me. Ask me. Every day, ask me. I mean, how could you help it when he pours in the love of God inside of you? How could you help it when as soon as you walk out of that door and you start interacting with human beings, I don't care who the human beings are, that love is just going to splash out of you over whoever, whomever you meet? Huh. Put that verse up again, please. Romans 5, 5 from the New Living. For we know how dearly God loves us. Because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. A singular, simple, little line to declare a singular, simple, little truth. And here's the truth. Jot it down, will you, please? People filled with the Spirit of God are filled with the love of God. You can't be filled with the Spirit of God and not be filled with the love of God. Or that wasn't the Spirit of God that filled you. People filled with the Spirit of God are filled with the love of God. And keep going. And people filled with the love of God will love those the rest of the church and the rest of the world cannot find a heart to love. They may be rejected in that church. They may be rejected in that church. They may be rejected in that church over there. But when you're filled with the love of God, you love people that others reject. You love people that others reject. William Blake, the English poet, put his words on the screen, "...we are put on earth for a little space that we might learn to bear the beams of love." That's why you were born. You were born for a reason, to live out the love of God to people that have been rejected by everybody else. Hmm. Thus, three convictions. I have three convictions. I'm going to share these three with you and sit down. Three convictions. I, want, I, I, I pray to God that they might become your convictions, too. Conviction number one, jot it down. We will never love like Jesus did until we are daily baptized by the Holy Spirit like Jesus was. That's just a no-brainer, but you got to start with that. You have to believe that. You'll never love like Jesus did unless you're baptized like Jesus was. Pray this little prayer every morning. A simple little prayer. Pour your love into me today, O God. Pour your love into me today, O God. Steps to Christ. I love this. Page 94. Look at this. That classic... On the screen, one sentence. Our Heavenly Father waits to bestow upon us the fullness of His blessing, for it is our privilege to drink largely at the fountain of boundless love every morning. Just, Lord, pour Your love upon me. Now, you have to have one more prayer before you leave your little prayer corner, wherever it is you have your morning worships. One more prayer. So, the first prayer is, pour your, pour your love into me, and the last prayer is, pour your love out of me now. I'm out of here. Pour your love out of me now. Today, I humbly pray. Conviction number one. That's it. Here comes conviction number two. There is a hunger in this world for a place, for a people who will love me for who I am, a sinner in desperate need of God's saving grace and love. Man, we, we spent six wonderful hours this last uh, Tuesday. I wish you could have been there. We were crowded into the Lincoln Room. Who's there? Uh, a bunch of university students from grad school, undergrad, a bunch of, uh, a bunch of spiritual life leaders on the campus. Some administrators. We were in that room together. And you know what we were doing? We were brainstorming over the top two. The top two needs that the student body at Andrews University has identified for itself are its two top needs. And top need number one, can you imagine what the... Num- they sur- the big survey this last fall. Do you, can you imagine what the number one need of Andrews Univers- University students is? Do you know what it is? I'm gonna tell you. It's the need to belong to belong. Well, that's pretty simple. I long to belong. That's what they're saying. I long to belong. So when Pastor Sabine says, hey, let's adopt some students and let's bring them into our homes, that's exactly what they're wanting. I long to belong. Sign me up. They're wanting it. It's their numero uno need. And by the way, let's not let the students think, well, we got a little niche that we've carved for ourselves. Are you kidding? That's the number one need of the entire human race. Take a survey anywhere on this planet today, and the number one need will be, I want to be loved. I want to belong. Let me belong. This is who I am. Love me. Let me be a part of your journey and your life and your heart. Tell your heart. Shh. Tell your heart to it. That's a need. Why was this adulterous pastor weeping? In the story a moment ago, he's sobbing over his need to belong. He has felt that his sin is so awful that it has severed him from God. Will anybody love me back to God again? How many on this campus and in this community all around this campus are in that very same category, longing to belong but nobody cares about me. I want to finish the story that Jerry Cook started for us. In the weeks and months that followed, he, this uh, adulterous pastor, he met with our elders regularly and wept his way back to God through a most intense, sometimes utterly tearing repentance. If ever in my entire life I had seen godly sorrow for sin, I saw it in that man. He literally fell on the floor before our elders, grabbed their feet, and implored them, brothers, can you ever forgive me? God healed that man and restored him to wholeness, and today he's back in the ministry. Now, I say to you... And he goes on, and you have this now in the study guide. Go to the study guide right now. I say to you... I'll put it on the screen for you... I say to you, that individual was restored only because God enabled us to love and accept and forgive him. Jot it down. Love, acceptance, forgiveness. Those three things are absolutely essential to any ministry, to any church that will consistently bring people to maturity and wholeness. If the church is to be the force for God in the world that it should be, it must learn to love people, to accept people, and to forgive people." End quote. And how should we discover and embrace such a love, this kind of acceptance, this kind of forgiveness? I'll tell you how we Will not. I can't go to me... I can't go to me to find that love, acceptance, and forgiveness. I'm telling you what. I know my heart. I cannot go to me. It will have to be external. The source will have to be external if we're going to have it. It will have to come from somebody outside of me. Simply because you know why? I have my own biases. Shh. I have my own prejudices. I have my own insecurities that tend to shut out the very people that remind me of my own moral fallenness and weaknesses. That's why I don't want people like that around. Because when they're around, they remind me of that insecurity, and then I'd have to admit that I'm just like them, though I never want anybody to know that. I'd have to admit my insecurities. Instead, I become party to a line of thinking that says just keep them out you'll never feel insecure in fact you will feel superior here we are this week against the wall of racial separation you know what racial prejudice behaves in the very same way the only reason I need people to feel inferior to me is because I have an inferiority complex myself. No kidding. Which is why I try to push you down so that I can pull myself up. Which is why I try to push you out so that I can pull myself into an inner circle I don't feel I even belong to. And if I admit... Listen, listen, listen. If I admit that you have worth identical to mine in the eyes of God, that He loves you just as much as He loves me, then my subconscious effort to be morally or racially superior to you... And by the way, that's what was happening with the Pharisees. They felt morally superior to all sinners and racially superior to all Gentiles. Then I begin to scramble so that I can push down this inferiority complex and lift up a sense that I really am somebody. But I need you to be pushed down in order that I can be pulled up in my own mind. It's tragic. It is twisted, circular thinking, and you can't break out of it. I'm sorry. You can't break out of it. Someone external to your mind and inferiority complex has to step in. And you know what he does? He says, I need you to know. Dwight, 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 Dwight. Look at me. Look at me. Listen to me. It's okay. You're not inferior. No child of mine is inferior. I'm your father. You're my child. You're my son. You're my daughter. You're not inferior. Get over it. Tear the wall down. Tear that wall down. It's time. I need a people without walls. If I don't have a people without walls, nobody will come to you. I promise, nobody will come to you. Get rid of that wall. You're okay. I love you with all my heart. And I need you now to be an agent for that love with every human being I bring into your space. How do I know I'm loved and accepted by God? <laughs> That's the whole point. 5 is just the introduction to this stunning, stunning mountaintop in Romans. Let's read 5 again and get a run onto verse 6. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts, the Holy Spirit has been given to us. Where does that love come from? I need that love. How am I going to visualize that love? Oh, just keep reading. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though I suppose for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But finally, verse 8, God demonstrates His own love for you, Dwight. God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. At the cross, at the cross. Where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was then I knew that He loves me too. And now I am happy all the day. It's the cross. You got to go to the cross. You can't get it without going to the cross. That's where the love of God is poured out in the Holy Spirit when He comes into you because you asked to be baptized today just washes your soul with the love of Calvary. Isn't that great? It's at the cross. (laughs) Apologies to Isaac Watson, that great hymn. Calvary makes all the difference in the world for a church, for a congregation, for a campus, for a soul that longs to live out the love of Jesus for all people. Listen, black and white, it doesn't matter straight and gay, rich and poor. Which one of these has its right, Dwight? Don't worry about it. Rich and poor, women and men, Democrats and Republicans, East and West, conservative and liberal, saved and lost, saints and sinners, atheist and believer. It doesn't matter. The love outported Calvary is to bind, bind our hearts to His. All people bound up in the love and the heart of God. Three convictions. Let me share this final one and I'll sit down. Number three, conviction number three, I believe God is calling us as a congregation to embrace new DNA. To become the most loving, the most friendly, the most caring church around. Write in that word loving, please. To become the most loving, the most caring, the most friendly church around. Now, Jerry Cook drives it home. i put his words on the screen. Final quote. The minimal guarantee we must make to people. All right? So here's the bottom line. The minimum guarantee is that they will be loved always, under every circumstance, with no exception. Well, I can't love him. No, no. <laughs> you'd never be here if it weren't that God loved you. No. The minimal guarantee is that they will be loved always, under every circumstance, with no exception. Here comes the second guarantee. The second guarantee is that they will be totally accepted, without reservation, accepted. The third guarantee, the third thing we must guarantee, is that no matter how miserably they fail or how blatantly they sin, Unreserved forgiveness is theirs for the asking with no bitter taste left in anybody's mouth. A church that can make that commitment to every person is a church that's learning to love and a church that will be a force for God. And I know what you're thinking right now. I'm reading it. It is so plain on your face, you can't even hide the question. You're, You're saying, hey, Dwight, yo, yo. That kind of loving, what you're talking about? That breeds, let me tell you something, boy, that breeds license for sin. That's what it does. It just gives people an excuse. I'll go on sinning. There's no accountability now. That's Nambi. Cheap grace. Fair point. Touché. But that's precisely the point. (laughs) That's Why? Come on, come on. That's why Jesus was such a threat to the religious hierarchy of his day, who thought the same way as you just did. They hated him because the love-starred public couldn't seem to get enough of the Messiah. This friend of sinners who even ate with them. How else can you explain why prostitutes were drawn to this man, not for a shred of impurity, but something holy and pure about him offered hope? Why, why was it that pagan outsiders, we're talking about Samaritans, we're talking about Gentiles, we're talking about the racially inferior so-called, why were they drawn to Jesus? Because he loved them, he accepted them, and he forgave them. That's why. Jerry Cook didn't invent this. Jesus Christ did. In our midst, while we watched, and eventually killed him, he was such a thorn in our collective conscience. shouldn't the church that follows Jesus love the way that Jesus loved? But, of course. Gregory Boyle, in his inspiring book, Tattoos on the Heart, remembers a time when he and his five sisters and two brothers, that's right, eight children, when when they were growing up, they were told by their mother never to go into the attic. Do you hear me, children? As Boyle writes, which was all we needed to hear before long we were selling tickets to the attic. Mom says, no, let's go. (laughs) Up in all that dark and dust, the children stumbled. Listen to this. They stumbled upon an old worn record album with their mother's face and name upon it. Apparently, before she had eight children, she could sing. If you have eight, your singing career's over. They found it. I'm going to put Boyle on the screen for you here. We played the grooves off this record. Consequently, a line from the song found itself permanently etched in my brain, a mantra of sorts. You'll recognize it. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till He appeared... Now, notice this next line. Till He appeared, and what, and what? And the soul felt its worth. Isn't that something? He came here for the soul to feel its worth. Not its condemnation. Not its absolute rubbish and worthlessness. He came for it to feel its worth till He appeared. And the soul felt its worth. Boyle goes on. Sure, it's a song about Jesus and Christmas, but how is it not the job description of human beings seeking kinship, remembering that we belong to one another, and letting souls feel their worth, end quote. That's the mission of the church. That's why Jesus came to tell you you are not a reject. You are not a failure. You are not scum. There is no wall between my heart and yours. You are a child of my Father, which makes us brothers and sisters." Was that Christ Object Lessons line again? When you see yourselves at pioneer as sinners saved only by the love of your heavenly Father, you will have tender pity for others who are suffering in sin, just like Jesus. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till He appeared and the soul felt its worth. For God so loved the world that He gave His only, one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. For we know how dearly God loves us because He has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with His love. Church, church, church. This is your Savior speaking. I have died for your heart. I have repaired your heart. There's nothing wrong with it now. So please, for me and for you, tell your heart to beat again. Please, tell your heart to beat again. Amen. Amen. So what can we do? Is there anything? Yeah, pull your connect card out. I want to sing a great song, and and, uh, we leave. But pull your Connect card out. Pastor Jose referred to it. Pastor Sabine referred to it. Here it is now. Our ushers are moving quickly to receive these cards. So let's just take a moment. Love to see the guests who are here. Glad you're here. Fill out the front of the card. We do this, guests and members alike. And then turn the card over, please. Back of the card. My next step today is... Hey. Number one, I will tell my heart to beat again by living God's love for those I meet. That's what I want to do. I can't imagine you saying, no, I don't want to live God's love. That's Dwight, you just put these little no-brainers in. Okay, let's go on to the next one. I want to help my church become a community where all people are loved, accepted, and forgiven. If you put your email address on the front of the card, I'll send you a note what you can do. Just a preparatory little initial step. Come on. Let's let's join together in this quest. Number three, I would like to stand against the wall of racial separation. Pastor Torres just talked about our Harbor of Hope Church. We would love to have you get involved, and he's kind of teasing us there with this new new venture that he's about to unveil and didn't want to scoop it in this place but up at his place. If you would like to be a heart, if you would like to have a part in standing against the wall of racial separation, put a check mark there, and we're going to send you the details to Pastor Taurus's plan. You don't have to commit to anything. You're not buying a car right now. You're just saying, I want to help stand against the wall. Why not? And finally, number four, I would like Jesus, the friend of sinners, to be my Savior, too. How can I follow him? Some of you here have never really given your life to Jesus. You've thought about it. And you say, well, the day will come. My friend, my, may I suggest to you that maybe the day just came. Maybe this is your day. I'm not asking you to come up front and stand in front of everybody. I'm not doing that to you. But if you put a little check mark there and say, you know what, I'd like to begin a walk with Jesus, a friendship. If he's a friend of sinners, he'll have a great time with me. I'd like to ask Jesus, to be that Savior and friend. You put a check mark right there. I'll send you an email. You'll see. This is not rocket science. Heaven's just been waiting for you to figure out that it's the right time. Why would you put it off? Well, I think I'll do it some other day. Today's your day. The Bible says today. Now is the acceptable time. I will to invite you doesn't take a whole lot of energy to just put a little check mark there. I'm going to have you turn the card upside down so nobody will see it anyway. But if the Spirit is speaking to your heart right now and is saying, hey, why did it, come on, this is, this is it. Let's do it. You and me. I would like to counsel you. This would be a very good time if He's speaking to you to do it. Put a check mark there. I want to pray over these cards. And our ushers going to come and pick them up. we got a great song that would just send us on our way. But let's pray first. Oh, God, what a world. The number one need in the world, wouldn't you know it? It showed up on the survey of this university. The number one need on campus. I just need to belong. I need to be loved. I need some sort of human network that lets me come to you. So, Father, I pray love, acceptance, and forgiveness that this might become new, humble DNA in Pioneer's journey to the second coming. Because how can we talk about being baptized by the Spirit and then not talk about being filled with the love of God? And how can we be filled with the love of God and not let that love splash over everybody? But we have to be intentional. It doesn't just... We have to offer our lives to You. Pour it in, dear God, and then pour it out. So take our humble, quiet decisions. Seal them. Make us a people where love, acceptance, and forgiveness, just like Jesus, becomes our way, too. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.